Father God, we give you this time. God, we, I included, we open ourselves to what you have to say to us, Lord. God, may, may you speak through me, Lord. And God, would you give us openness to receive. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So around a decade ago, right around this time of year, actually, my parents had gone on vacation to Florida, and there was a snowstorm. So this is fine. My dad has a tractor, so I, I go to his house, I start up his tractor, has an enclosed cab and everything. It was really comfortable and no problem. I, I do their driveway. Now, you don't know this, but their driveway is almost a kilometer long. So it still takes some time, but I'm happy to do it. And then I remember that my dad typically does several of his neighbors. He has about five or six of his neighbors that also have fairly big driveways that he does, their, he does it for them. And, and that's really nice of him, and I guess I figured that I should probably do the same thing. And the results of this surprised me. So I do the first house. Okay, that's, that's fine. No one came out, but that's fine. Do the next house. I just, I'm, like, I'm looking at the door. Like As I'm doing the driveway, I'm continually looking at the front door to see if anyone's going to come out and thank me. And, and no, one, no one came out in tears, rushing out to thank me for all the time that I'm saving. That was very surprising for me. As this went on, it was real. like, honestly, I was very surprised. I was surprised by two things. One of them was that no one even acknowledged it. Like, they were home, their vehicles were there. No one came out and acknowledged, or even, even just a wave. You know, I didn't need much. I just needed a wave. Just give me something, acknowledging that I'm saving you hours of time, potentially. Now, it was telling of myself as well. I was actually... Looking back, I'm kind of ashamed of myself in that, like, I, I wasn't just doing this for good motives. I needed to be thanked. And luckily, I've done some work in this area. But I was really surprised at my own reaction, needing to be thanked in this. And I was, I was also surprised just at the power that a thank you can have, expressing gratitude can have. It caused me to think about the why, the why behind it all. Why, why do we say thank you? Well, one reason is we're trained to. Many of us have raised young children, and one of the things that we always do, and Chantel's really good at this, is remind our kids to th say thank you. She'll often ask us after something happened, did you say thank you? She asks the kids, and embarrassingly enough, she always asks me too if I remember to say thank you to people. So. But it is, it's really important. It's a really important thing to do because it works. Now, what I'm curious is, when you don't have to, why would you? Said differently, is this something that you are supposed to do? Or is this something that you want to do? We're going to see in today's story that this was something that Mary wanted to do. It was, it was this internal bubbling up almost, bubbling up to overflowing of gratitude that Mary had. And you may know this, you may not, but we are in a series, the series that never ends, on misfits in the Bible. And I am loving this series on misfits. 
we see people from all different walks of life. We see people in all different settings and situations and skill levels. And what's interesting, I think the common denominator isn't who someone is or what they're capable of, what they're good at, their socioeconomic status. None of that really seems to be consistent. But as you look through the Bible, one thing that you'll see over and over again, pretty much except Jonah, is that God uses people who have given him their internal yes. That's, those are the people that God uses again and again and again. Last time I preached, we talked about Lazarus, and that was a really neat story. If you're talking about someone who can be used by God or not used by God, typically, I would think we would think, once you're deceased, that's, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much the extent of where it's going to go. But that wasn't so in Lazarus's case. Now today, we're going to be looking at his sister, Mary. And Mary is a little bit meek. She's perhaps a little bit shy. And I think sometimes lacking in that initiative or, or, that, or that get up and go, we see that in previous stories of her in the Bible showing that. And so we are going to look at her life and see how maybe that's changed. So if you would open to John 12, which if you're using a pew Bible, you will see at page 872. Now, what has happened? A bit has happened since our last story. Our last story was with Lazarus. Jesus raised him from the dead. He went from death to life. It's, it's a symbol, symbolic of how we can see that in our own lives as well, going spiritually from death into life. Now, I told you this was so significant that the chief priests decided that they had to kill him. They decided this out of fear. They were afraid to lose their temple and their nation. And they thought the Romans would take it away from them. So they decided that they needed to kill him. Because of this, Jesus retreats to Ephraim. Now here's a nugget. I'll just drop this. And if you want to think about it, think about it. Ephraim means fruitfulness. So Jesus retreated to fruitfulness. I find that very interesting. At the end of that, and where we start our story, Jesus has returned to Bethany, and they're throwing a dinner in his honor, which I think is a very good response to, like a very good way to say thank you to someone. So let's start in verse 1 of chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the, whole, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? 
it was worth about a year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. That last part I find very interesting. So remember we said typically when someone passes away, they're not going to be used by God anymore. Well, God used this death to bring him back to life. And because of that, many other people came to Jesus. Your story and my story are very powerful because if it's a story of being in a place of death and coming into life again in Jesus Christ, that is a powerful story that has a draw for people. It draws people toward Jesus. Your story is powerful. Now, I'm just going to dig right into this text because they just start off in such a powerful way in verse 3. Now, I can understand a bit about what's happening. They want to throw a party for Jesus, a celebration for Jesus. I understand that. I will be honest in saying that the extravagance and the magnitude of what Mary does, it's, it's a lot to take in. And just so you know, we read the Mark passage earlier. I'm going to kind of be jumping around between the Mark version of this and the John version of this. They just pull out some different points, and I find that very, very helpful. Verse 3, Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. And in the Mark passage, he says, why this waste? And, and to me, that's actually kind of a reasonable question. Now, imagine with me what could have happened. It could have been that they put the party on, the celebration on, and then Mary comes in, and she has a, a pint, so roughly 12 ounces, or roughly the size of a can of pop. And she opens it up carefully and pours a reasonable amount on Jesus' feet. If she would have used an ounce, which is a twelfth of, of a pint, which is biblical because of the 12 tribes, that would have been probably pretty good. That would have been pretty impressive. It still would have been about $4,000, roughly, worth of perfume. That's still pretty extravagant. But she didn't do that. Judas asks, why this waste? Another thing that's interesting to think of, 
about, about the waste is that this would have probably been her nest egg. A lot of times during this time, if you, especially if you can't own property, you're going to invest into something. So she had invested everything. This is her life savings that we are talking about. This, this jar of perfume is her life savings. That's what it represents. And in the Mark passage, do you remember what it said? It said that she broke it. She broke the jar. Mary comes to Jesus in total abandon, just bringing him absolutely everything that she possibly can. She is giving him a gift that is extravagant and unprecedented. And she pours it on his feet. Mark says that he also pour, she also pours it on his head, wipes his feet with her hair. Now, if, if you've ever done something extraordinary, you, you know the feeling. You know the feeling of being nervous, but excited, scared, in an anticipation. You know the feeling of the shaky hands and the jitteriness. And I can just imagine her walking over to Jesus, knowing what she's going to do, already tears in her eyes, and being able to break the jar, holding absolutely nothing back and just putting it all into Jesus. What do these, what do these things represent? Well, the jar, the alabaster jar represents restraint. And when she, break, when she broke it, she decided that she, there was no restraint. I don't know when the last time that you've actually experienced no restraint. Psalm 103 says, Praise the Lord and let all that is within me praise his holy name. Will Regan says, paraphrases that to say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and let all that's within me shout out. Let all that's within me shout out, cry out to you, O God. Being in total surrender. There is nothing else in this moment except for you and Jesus. Everything else disappears. This moment of total abandon. There is no more restraint left. The perfume expressing her gratitude in which she gives it all to him. And the hair describes it describes the intimacy of the purest form. If you were to think about wiping someone's feet with your hair, you have to be very close to that person, but also that's not the most favorable part of them. Especially during that time, feet would have been pretty dirty. When we decide to bless Jesus, Sometimes it gets messy. Sometimes it gets uncomfortable. She held nothing back, but went fully into intimacy with Jesus in this moment. What does that look like? Well, 
I think Jesus describes this well when he says, whatever you've done unto the least of these, you've done unto me. When we bless other people, we're actually blessing Jesus. And like I say, sometimes that can get messy. But willing to embrace the fullness of that, something sweet happens. Something special happens. Now, what does is, what is blessing look like? To, to the best of my ability to explain it, when we decide to bless Jesus with, with pure motives, not looking for anything for ourselves, just out of the gratitude that we have in our hearts, wanting to express it toward Jesus by blessing other people, Jesus is blessed. Jesus is blessed by your obedience, by your agreement, by your servitude, by your ability. He is blessed by that. The people who you bless are blessed. It actually changes the environment. In this story, the whole house, not even just the room, the whole house was filled with the fragrance. When you bless people, it changes the environment. It changes the atmosphere. The atmosphere in that house changed because of what Mary did. When we take when we engage, when we participate in acts of service, of blessing people in such a way, it changes the environment. It makes the world a better place. And we have the ability to do that when we enter into this with Jesus. And thirdly, she was blessed. Now this is interesting. She wasn't looking for blessing for herself. That's, that's not why she was there. She wanted to express the gratitude of her brother coming, going from death to life. That's what she wanted to do, and she wanted to do that with everything that she had. And that's all that she wanted. But, how many of you know that when she stood up, she smelled the same as Jesus? He doesn't have to bless us. But he does. He's so good that when we participate in what he is doing in the world around us, we too receive a blessing. I call it glory down. Every, we do everything for the glory of God. And he sends glory back down to us and we get to experience his presence. We get to experience his joy. And how many of you know that there is a joy and there is a satisfaction in serving out of gratitude? It is a special place to be. So Mary was experiencing all of these things and she was expressing them in, in purity and in authenticity. And then on the other side, we have Judas. Judas is in so many ways a contrast to Mary in this story. One of the things I believe Jesus, Judas felt was entitlement. Remember, it said that he was a thief and would steal from the purse, effectively. Now, perhaps he was hoping that they would sell what was in, that he would, they would sell the perfume, and then from there he would be able to steal. And maybe he felt like some of that money should have been his. Now, entitlement in our lives is a tricky thing. It is actually really hard to be able to tell where we're feeling entitled, we don't often recognize it. 
So instead of preaching it, I'm just going to pray it. And Father God, would you, would you illuminate within our hearts moments when we are feeling entitled, moments when we are feeling like we deserve more or that we don't deserve to have this happen or that happen. God, would you, would you work in our hearts? Would you open us up to that? He also may have experienced busyness or, or distraction. He mentioned the poor. Maybe he was thinking about the poor. Maybe he was thinking about the checklist of all the things that we, he needed to do. And we often have this, don't we? We're too busy to be grateful. We're just we're going through life. We'll, we're bulldozing our way through, not necessarily noticing the little things, not stopping to smell the roses, so to speak. Too busy having our phone in front of our face or being on a screen of some other sort or distracting ourselves with something. We find ourselves there so often when we could be noticing what's around us, noticing the, the gift that is snow, noticing the gift that is your children or grandchildren or your spouse or whoever it might be, your friends in your life. There are so many gifts that we can be noticing if we take the time to notice it, which leads to a later point. Another thing that I would see in Judas is the comparison and jealousy. And maybe he wanted the attention. Perhaps that was the reason why he felt that. But we, we can see this in our own lives too, right? Comparison is the thief of joy. And jealousy, they're both. They steal away the gratitude that we could be experiencing. Uh, finally, we see familiarity. Now, this one, this one really gets me. I don't know what was happening in Judas's heart, but it's interesting. This wasn't the first time Jesus even raised someone from the dead, believe it or not. He raised other people from the dead as well. And maybe Judas is just so used to this by now that he's not even impressed. I mean, how long, when you live in the mountains, how long do you remain impressed by them? Or is it a choice? You see, many of us have grown up in the church. Many of us have grown up with parents who are Christians. And maybe, maybe we're just used to being here. Maybe this is the place where we're supposed to be. But I read somewhere that his mercies are new every morning. I read somewhere that we can sing unto the Lord a new song. We can become accustomed to how amazing grace is and how amazing Jesus is. Or we can be continually renewed, transformed by the renewing of our mind. This is so much of my story. I grew up in the church. I grew up being just used to Jesus. Yeah, okay, we're, we can be sinners saved by grace and then all of a sudden we're saints. And okay, that's great. And you can answer the answers. But when I decided to search for Jesus on my own, when I decided to see what was there, when I decided that I wanted to experience the presence of God, what I found was incredible. And I began to live with joy and purpose and passion. 
I was one way and I became something different. I was living in death and I became to live into life. And this is something that I decided that I wanted to spend my life proclaiming. I wanted to tell people about the joy that is found in Jesus. I hope that we don't limit our gratitude by our familiarity. Is this something you get excited about still? Do you get excited to proclaim his amazing grace? Do you get excited to celebrate his death in, in communion? Is this something that spurs excitement and joy within you? Mary lived, Mary did not live entitled. She was rocked. She was rocked by what Jesus had done in her life. She was not too busy or too distracted. She was zeroed in on Jesus. Also in the Mark passage, Jesus says something about Mary. It's Mark 14, 8. He says something about Mary that I feel so well describes the Christian walk. I feel like it actually describes this misfit series that we're doing extremely well. He says these beautiful words. He says, she did what she could. She did what she could. And it's true that all that she could do, she did in that moment. She put it all out there. She went in agreement with what Jesus, what she could do with him in partnership. Maybe it's true that other people could do more. Maybe. Maybe other people could do more. Maybe there is a story of Jesus' burial where Nicodemus and and another man wrap him in perfume and all these things and they they buy a, a tomb for him. Yeah, maybe that was more extravagant, but this is what Mary had. And everything that Mary had, she put into blessing Jesus. And so many people were blessed by by this experience. I'd like to conclude with a story. I think the moral of the story I'm trying to say is, is don't stop at enough. There was a woman who lived with my parents a few years ago, and she had had a rough childhood. She had had a rough upbringing. One of the things that she always wanted as a little girl was figure skates. That's what she wanted year after year. She wanted to skate the canals of Holland on her figure skates. And her mother was very hard with her and never gave her those figure skates. She came to live with my parents sometime later. And they just totally welcomed her in for that season. And Christmas time came. And she had family Christmas with 
my family. And you know where the story is going already. They had bought her those figure skates that she had always wanted as a little girl. And through tears, she expressed gratitude to my parents for buying her this thing that she had wanted in her heart for so long and filling the void that had been there. She, with tears, went around and gave everyone in my family a big hug and just said thank you. I remember my youngest brother being there who had no idea who she was or why she was crying, was very confused, but it was this beautiful moment. Sometime shortly after that, she said to my mom, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me in, for making me feel so loved. My mom responded, of course. And, and this is the moment right here. She looked at my mom and said, no, Diane, not of course. What you have done has been extravagant in my life. You didn't stop it enough. You kept going and you, you did more than what was necessary. Mary did the same thing. Mary gave this incredible gift. And Mary wasn't the only one that gave a gift. Jesus gave a gift. He gave the gift of his life. He didn't just stop it enough. It wasn't, it wasn't just the minimum amount required. He went all the way with it. Heaven put everything it had into this moment. The greatest gift that has ever been or ever will be. The most defining moment in all of human history was when Jesus gave us this gift on the cross. That when we turn to him, we can be reconciled to God. We have our sins forgiven. We can be in communion with God. So my friends, do you feel grateful? Do you feel excited? Does that change your attitudes, your thoughts, your actions? Mary expressed it. We have this opportunity to express it by blessing those around us, by thanking the Lord, our Savior. Does it show in your life? Let's pray. Father God, I suppose the most appropriate thing to say is thank you. Thank you for your gift. Thank you that you don't see us the way that we see ourselves, God. God, I pray that you work within our hearts. I pray that you make yourself real to us. God, would you show us who you are? Would you show us your character? Help us to be grateful, Lord. Thank you. Amen.